Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. And today I want to start out reminding you that there is a wealth of information available to you at wealthformula.com. If you'd go to that website, you'd find that you'd see all sorts of free stuff, free books, free downloads, etc. You can also join the Accredited Investor Club, or you could join Wealth Formula Network, which is the insiders group for Wealth Formula Podcast. Uh, check it all out, wealthformula.com. Uh, you can also uh, get a copy of my book for free, uh, 44222, and just text me there, 44222, and put Wealth Formula, one word. Uh, now on for today's show, I have to tell you that in recent weeks, I've had a series of webinars. Um, they've been for Investor Club. Uh, they have been called, they've been all under the title of Tax Day Postmortem Series. Uh, now, the Investor Club, of course, is the Wealth Formula Accredited Investor uh, Group. It's basically an email list. And the webinars so far have been for strategies limited to accredited investors such as oil and gas and conservation easements, et cetera. However, uh, I do want to point out that we're not trying, I'm not trying to make this an exclusive thing. Uh, we're going to have some things uh, coming up that are not for accredited people. But that said, there is no question that there are more strategies for tax mitigation for people with money. Surprise, surprise, right? I mean, it makes sense. Those are the people who are paying more taxes. And in addition, the reality is that there are always more financial opportunities for the affluent than there are for the middle class and the poor. And whether or not you like it or whether or not you think it's fair, it's just the way it is. So you're better off spending that energy trying to become affluent. Now, the good news is that most people accredited or not, do have opportunities to legally lower their taxes that they just don't even know about. Um, you know, the key here is to make learning about different tax strategies, uh, tax mitigation strategies, and I'm not talking about illegal loopholes. I'm just talking about the things that the government wants us to do, uh, to learn about those things and to make them as important to learn about as learning new strategies and investing uh, and or making more money. Because in reality, they all go hand in hand. At the end of the day, what matters is what you bring home. 
It's not what you make, it's what you take home. Of course, most of what I learned about tax mitigation uh, really comes from my CPA, Tom Wilwright, uh, also his book, Tax-Free Wealth. There's a second edition, which I encourage you to, to read. Um, and Tom is, of course, a genius in the space. I mean, he is a, a true, uh, you know, a very special individual when it comes to taxes, and he's very, very bright. But that doesn't mean I, I don't try to listen to others because, you know, it's impossible for one person to know everything. In fact, I have to tell you that I have learned a few things along the way that some of the most sophisticated accountants don't even know about. Um, it's just, it's funny, but it is true. I've actually managed to find myself knowing about certain things that some of my accountants do not know about. And it's not because of any other reason that I'm constantly looking for, you know, ways to pay less taxes legally. Now, the key to becoming an expert in anything, including, you know, taxes and tax mitigation strategies, is to learn everything you can from as many sources as you can possibly think of. You know, it cast a wide net on who you listen to and pay attention to everyone. When it comes to tax mitigation strategies, I got to tell you, I've done this for years and it's really paid off. The truth of the matter is that most people I talk to, outside of Tom Wheelwright, I should tell you, are not telling me things I don't already know. But sometimes I catch a pearl or two where, or I just hear, how about this? I just hear the same thing from two different perspectives. And when I hear it a second time from someone else, it just makes sense to me and I understand it better. Frankly, that's what happened to me with Wealth Formula Banking. Um, for years, I just heard about banking on yourself and all this stuff. And I had no idea what it meant. But one day, uh, I understood it from someone else and boom, Wealth Formula Banking, I am a huge, huge advocate for now. So for that same reason, over the next couple of months, I will have a few different voices on similar topics uh, come on the podcast. And this week on Wealth Formula Podcast, I have Diane Gardner on the show. She's not a CPA, but rather a tax coach. Um, now, I didn't know, and I don't really know Diane very well, nor do I know exactly what a tax coach is, but I certainly was open to the idea of letting her try to teach me something that I didn't know. Why not? So in the spirit of casting that wide net of knowledge sources, I encourage you to listen to the show that we will be playing today. It's an interview with Diane Gardner, and we'll have it for you right after these messages. What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility. It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits, and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, 
these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is Diane Gardner. She is a certified tax coach who says, proactive planning approaches give you a leg up on Uncle Sam. Uh, she says that she can save small business clients between $5,000 and $50,000 in as little as 60 minutes. And she's a licensed uh, enrolled agent and certified tax coach who prepares returns and helps taxpayers nationwide maximizing profits and minimizing taxes. Uh, Diane is also the co-author of multiple best-selling books, um, Stand Apart with Kennedy. Why didn't my CPA tell me that? She's also authored 10 other books, including Stop Overpaying Your Taxes, 11 Ways Entrepreneurs Overpay, and How to Stop It Now. Diane, welcome to Wealth Formula Podcast. But thank you so much for having me on your program. You bet. Well, you know, it's uh, just after tax season, and we've been, uh, we've been talking about taxes a lot. And, um, you know, we have our own uh, group uh, within that we kind of go back, and it's always good to get a different perspective. Uh, uh, you and I have not spoken before, so I don't know sort of all your strategies and, um, and things like that, but it's always good to get a, a fresh uh, set of eyes on things. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got interested in taxes. Well, I got interested in taxes back when I was in college. I thought, oh, I'll take a tax class. That might be fun. And I loved it. Uh -huh. And that kind of dumped me into the tax world. Unfortunately, I spent the first part of my career just preparing tax returns and got very burned out on that side of it. Decided there had to be a better way to make this all work. And found the world of tax planning. And from that point forward, Life has been so much better because I get to be a little more creative and I get to meet some of the most amazing people all over the country. And it allows me to develop some deeper relationships than just somebody who just sits there and prepares income tax returns during tax season and then does something else the rest of the year. So um, just for clarity, you know, there's a lot of terminology these days and there's coaches and there's preparers and things like that. Can you um, kind of distinguish sort of the difference between, um, as I understand it, you are, you are not a CPA. Um, you are a tax coach and preparer. Can you tell us sort of the differences as you see it between some of these titles and what their roles are? You bet. Actually, I'm licensed by the IRS, so I'm an enrolled agent, which means that I can work on tax returns. I can represent people in all 50 states, where most CPAs are licensed by a state or two and so it kind of limits what they can and can't do as far as in front of the IRS. And the term CPA is, is a great uh, three letters to have behind your name, but it, just because you see the letter CPA doesn't mean somebody specializes in tax. They could specialize in operations or they could specialize in business valuations or they could specialize in something else. When anytime you see the letters EA behind somebody's name, you know they specialize in tax. And then to go even deeper, I got my certification as a tax coach several years ago, and that has really helped me increase my understanding of all the different loopholes and the things the IRS has out there in the tax code, just asking us to use them. 
Got it. So in your role as a, you said an EA, is that Enrolled right? agent, yes. Enrolled agent. Mm -hmm. um, can, you, can you defend audits and things too? I can. I generally don't when it states out quite a ways. I will defer it to one of my colleagues in that state because they'll have a better understanding of what's going on in that particular state. Got it. Got it. Well, it's always good to know, um, you know, these are, these are terms that people run into and it's kind of good enough, good idea just to delineate between who's who and what's what, et cetera. Let's, uh, let's shift over and start talking a little bit about, you know, what you uh, specifically talk about with your, um, you know, with your clients. Uh, you talk about a uh, seven figure business, um, uh, tax planning strategies that, that people might not know. Can you, can you just talk about a few of those strategies, for example, to get an idea and flavor of the types of things you, um, you, uh, you work on? You bet. Depending on the type of business that we're working with, a lot of times we're going to go in and start with an entity analysis because in certain kinds of businesses, we may want the main part of the business in one type of entity, and maybe there's a side area that should be spun off and pulled off into a completely different type of entity so we can maximize a certain area in the tax code. So that's kind of a basic starting place is let's take a look at the various entities, what's going on, who's doing what, how many partners, or do we have silent investors out there? All those, who are the players? So that when we do a tax strategy, we wanna make sure that we're benefiting everybody and not benefiting you and then hurting a partner because we didn't know something else was happening out there. So that's kind of where we start. And then depending on the type of business, if they're into real estate investing or any of that type of thing, then there's some wonderful tax strategies that go along when it's time to sell the property, where people get hit with a pretty high capital gains bill from time to time, or most of the time sometimes. There's some great strategies there that we can work with them and help them put about 95% of the, of the money at the sale of closing of escrow back in their pocket instead of giving it to Uncle Sam or their state. So the, um, the, the things that we have been talking in this show, I mean, the, the old, uh, the one that everyone knows is a 1031 exchange um, for real estate. Uh, the, the things we've recently talked about, ways of doing that through uh, trust and Delaware statutory trust. There, are there other mechanisms uh, specifically in real estate that, uh, that you're aware of that we uh, were not uh, hitting? There are. Yes, there's a wonderful tax strategy that's completely blessed by the IRS, where we're able to take a, an installment sale, which most people are familiar with that terminology, and hook it with a monetized loan. Yeah. And using a third party intermediary, we're able to basically put those loan proceeds in your hands. So now you have a loan instead of a sale. Yeah. defer that tax out there for 30 years and free up your cash so that you can turn around and invest it in the next property or multiple properties mm -hmm. and keep that cash working for you. Yeah. Unlike a 1031 where we have to find a property, identify it, make it all happen with a certain amount of time. And sometimes that's really hard for that to make that happen. And that, that sort of, uh, uh, what is that called again? I, I know what you're talking about. It's a, a something tax, uh, can you tell me what that's called? It's a section 453, but it doesn't have a nice pretty name like everybody you know, talks about 1031, which is the section 1031. Well, I know, I know what you're talking about because I've looked into it. Um, and specifically in that situation, one of the challenges that, um, that I think that you have with a monetized um, 
a tax deferral like that over 30 years is that they usually are, you know, most properties that people own, at least in our group and the way we do things are heavily leveraged, at least, you know, 70% LTV, et cetera. And so the problem with those kinds of things when it comes to real estate is that um, the basically, you know, when you sell an asset, it's the asset price that's deferred. So, um, so it becomes a challenge when you have a lot of leverage. Do you know, do you know what I'm talking about? It can be, right. Yes, it can be. So in certain circumstances, it works wonderfully and then others, it doesn't work as well. Right. Right. Um, how about, uh, give us another example, if you would. I mean, I don't want to take all your secrets, but I'm, <laughs> Trying to find out if there's some things that we haven't kind of addressed before and talked about that maybe we can uh, we can get into. Well, you've probably talked a little bit about opportunity zones. Yeah, since that's kind of a new hot thing. Okay, so we won't worry about going in that one. Well, we, we haven't talked about it in specific, but I think the challenge with opportunity zones in particular. If you would like to, why don't you tell tell us a little bit about what opportunity zones are, and um, we can kind of talk a little bit more about that. They are a way for you to, to save money through um, not having to pay tax on your capital gains. The IRS allows you to reduce the amount of tax you would owe based on owning certain properties in certain parts of the U.S. So the, what they're basically trying to do is, is get you to invest money in areas that maybe are a little more run down or need cleanup, that type of thing, so they can get them up and going and get them producing again. And so they're going to reward you for doing that. And so you end up holding the asset usually between five and 10 years to get full maximum output from the opportunity zone. Right. I think you actually has to be a full 10 years in order to get the, to get the maximum. Right. Right. Um, the challenge with that I've found is that, you know, these funds are, they're relatively new. Uh, second, as you mentioned, that they have to be in areas that are quote unquote run down. So if the challenge becomes, well, you know, you're going to take, um, you know, significant capital gains that you've done presumably through some wise investing and then potentially invest that into areas that we would consider maybe a D class area right now, set it in there and for 10 years and, and hope for the best. And that, that, that's a, that's an area that I have found to be challenging. Although I'm not saying it's not, uh, worth looking at. It's, um, you know, there's the, there's the theoretical part of tax planning, uh, which is if you could do this, there's a lot of that does this. And then there's the practical aspect, which is, well, that's great. Opportunity zones in theory sound fantastic, but how do you find something that, you know, you, you're willing to put in significant capital gains and lock up for 10 years in an area that's run down? Um, right. So they, they work for just certain types of investors. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about some of the big changes. I mean, you've talked about opportunity zones, but specifically in, um, in the Trump uh, tax uh, laws, uh, the, there was a lot of uh, significant improvements, at least for investors or business owners specifically. I can't say that there was probably a lot of improvement for high, uh, high wage earners. It was probably hurt, hurt, harmful to them. But um, what are some of the changes in the tax law um, this you know, recently that uh, business owners might not be aware of that uh, previously were not possible? Well, one of the changes that they may or may not have seen when they had their tax returns prepared or if they extended and they will see them when they're prepared is that new qualified business income deduction. 
previously we did not think it was going to work on investment type properties, rental properties, those types of things. And at the last minute, we got some clarification that yes, it is going to work. And so if you pass certain tests, then you're able to take the quote profit from your, your rental type investments and go ahead and take that new qualified business income deduction on it. So I'll back up a little bit the qualified business income deduction to kind of oversimplify it. You basically took the net profit from a business or from a rental activity, multiplied it times 20% and you got a new deduction on your income tax return. And so the fact that that, that was rescued for investment type properties, rental type properties was a major score for a lot of my clients this last tax season. Right, right, interesting. So, so what are some of the other qualified uh, businesses in that category? I mean, uh, real estate, I'm actually, uh, I'll say that I, did, I was not aware that real estate, is that relatively new? Uh, certain, yes, yeah, certain types of real estate will qualify. You have to show that it was, it was a, an active business or trade. Got it. So not and, passive multifamily. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, those types of things probably wouldn't work. But if you owned the apartment complex yourself or you were the majority owner in it, we could show that you were actively involved. So there's a little checklist of things you have to go down to be able to meet the certain criteria. Right. And if you met it, then it worked. And so some of my clients were pleasantly surprised that we were able to pass the criteria for them. And they got, they were able to take advantage of that new deduction that they weren't planning on. I'm sorry, could you go over the criteria that actually go into that? Because that's an interesting area that I've always found somewhat ambiguous. Um, you know, because there's a, you know, you know, what, which businesses get the advantages, which ones don't, and then there's a cap. Um, can you kind of outline that? Right. And so from the rental side of things, there was a, they put in a safe harbor that says on a regular basis, did the taxpayer consult with advisors, negotiate and execute leases? Did they consult with or act as a property manager or personally maintain, manage or supervise the rental activity of the above property? Right. And then the next one is, did the activity continue throughout the year? And then does the taxpayer spend at least 250 hours annually dealing with the advisors, the managers, or tenants, or repairers, or maintenance companies, or other on-site issues? Right. So we have a time element there. Yeah. And then do they maintain contemporaneous written calendar time records to prove the above regular continuous activity? So if yeah. we could meet this safe harbor criteria, then we were able to take the deduction on rental properties. Got it. But more, more broadly speaking, uh, in terms of businesses, I mean, the nice thing about it, at least in terms of the types of multifamily that we've kind of been involved with is it's significantly tax-sheltered income in the first place um, because we're losing leverage and we have depreciation, et cetera. But let's just, you know, for example, we have a number of physicians and dentists and you know, private practice uh, service providers. Who's qualified for that deduction? Who's not as a general rule? As a general rule, all businesses qualify until we hit a certain threshold of income. Is that right? Once, yeah, right. once we hit that threshold, then our specified service businesses stop qualifying or they start phasing out. Okay. Okay. And that specified service businesses are your physicians. It is your accountants. It's your attorneys. It's your business coaches. It's any business where it's your personal knowledge, you're selling your knowledge, 
and you are the main knowledge base in that business. Got it. Got it. And so, so. those people phase, uh, they phase out at what point? They phase out and married couple starts phasing out in the 300,000 range. And by about 415, they're totally phased out. And if you're not one of those, then you can, you can, you know, take that 20% deduction. There's no cap. Correct. Right. Okay. So one of the, so one of the strategies and that could be potentially that you restructure entities in such a manner that you are trying to minimize, um, minimize uh, uh, the revenue on the side uh, of where, you know, you're capped and there may be another part of the business that for business reasons could make another entity. Right. Yes. And that is something that, that you would really want to look at. Let's take the case of some sort of a physician that I'll say when I have an eye doctor as a client, we'll take him as a good example is he offers his optometric services but then there's also a section of his business where they sell eyeglasses. Now, could we, could we peel that piece off? Because that's not medical. That is selling a product. And could we make that as a standalone business? Mm -hmm. And so looking at those kind of things, and then, but if we have that overall incomes over 415,000, then even if we could carve it off and make it a separate business, we're still not going to get the deduction. Okay, got it. So the you're not going to get the deduction if the overall that flows through is over four hundred fifteen thousand. If if they are a specified service business, right. and even if we can carve off part of it because they're already tainted because he's specified service, it's right. going to be pretty much impossible to be able to carve that piece off in the case of my eye doctor client and be able to make that deductible for him. Right, right, right. Okay, that makes so. sense. But, and a lot of it has to do with who owns what. So if we have a couple people that own it and maybe the doctor stays over on his part and the other, somebody else takes over the other piece, now we're not, we're not related and we might be able to pull some things in that way. So there's a lot of planning opportunities. Yeah. How about with husbands and wives in general? Is there ever a situation where you might want to file separately? You might, depending on the state that you live in. Mm -hmm. Yes. And what, what kind of scenario would that be? I would say this QBI would be a perfect scenario for that. That's kind of yeah. what I was getting at. I, I Just from what you said, I wondered if that, that was one, one approach um, that you could have. I mean, obviously, there are costs associated with running a business that sometimes you can, there's good reason to, you know, have business kind of separated off and have overall income on a, a mm -hmm. return reduced. Yeah, where they might potentially hang up is if you're using the same facility, the same employees, and then it starts getting harder to say they're two separate businesses. Mm -hmm. and so we yeah. have to you have to kind of take it on a case by case example and go in and take a look. Is there a way we could make that work? Got it. Um, so on on this show, there's also a lot of high paid wage earners. Are they pretty much screwed? <laughs> <laughs> or what, what do you have any suggestions for them one of my suggestions for them is if they are charitable minded at all to really beef up those charitable contributions get up and over that new $24,000 standard deduction which usually isn't too hard because they tend to have larger mortgages even if they're capped at the $10,000 for the property taxes and income tax and sales tax and that type of thing, beef up the charitable contributions and take it out through there. 
Um, that's a good thing for them. Make sure they're maxing out any retirement programs that they have the ability to participate in. Mm -hmm. But there's not as many things for high wage earners as there are for those who own a business of some sort. Got it. Got it. Uh, give us a, an example where you really kind of show how you've saved somebody a lot of money. That's a lot of creative sort of maneuverings. One of my very first tax plans that I ever did when I first got brave enough to say, okay, I'm going to start doing tax planning services was for a client who came to me for a sales tax audit problem. We took care of the sales tax audit problem. And in the process, he looked at his entity type and looked at the amount of tax that he was paying and said, I can fix that problem. And so we sat down, we did an entity analysis. He had definitely outgrown the entity that he was currently in changed his entity type, implemented a uh, retirement plan that had a couple different phases to it and things like that. And as a result, today, about six years, seven, probably about six years ago we did this, he now owns the building that he's in with his business instead of renting that he was doing before. And it's been completely paid for with his tax savings. Got it, got it. And so that's kind of nice when you drive by and you look over at that building and said, I got to do that. I got to help him pay for that building, courtesy of no longer giving the IRS a large tip that he didn't need to give them every year. Got it. So um, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about the process that you take clients through. How does it work? Well, let's say you had heard me on a podcast or you had come to a conference where I was speaking or something along those lines and you reached out to me. I would have you send over your last two years tax returns, personal and, and businesses. And so we could get my head wrapped around what all you're doing and what you're involved in and that type of thing. Mm -hmm. From there, we would hop on a Zoom call. And we usually spend an hour, sometimes maybe an hour and a half, depending on the complexity of what the person has. And we would just talk through, here's what I see. Here's where I think there's some missed opportunities or maybe even mistakes. Sometimes we're able to go back and amend prior year returns and put some cash back in your pocket immediately. Other times I just see missed opportunities. And then from there, we decide if we want to go ahead and work together going forward. And if so, we put together a plan um, and let you know what the fee is going to be. And then from there, which we, we like to make this a long-term relationship. And so we go into what we call kind of more like a maintenance mode. And then depending on where you would like my assistance in, we'll, we'll work out a package that meets all those needs. And then that way we're able to stay in contact and meet several times a year and go over your information and your numbers and making sure that the plan that we laid out for you is working and you're staying with it. You haven't just kind of forgotten about it and headed off down the road and making sure you reap those tax savings each and every year. Got it. Got it. So, Dan, um, if we want to learn more about you and what you do, where can we uh, where can we find out? Well, the best place would be to go to www.taxcoachforyou.com. That's taxcoach, the number four, y-o-u.com forward slash tax wealth formula, where we are giving away our tax planning guide. It's all kinds of great strategies and um, some great information in there that I think a lot of people would really enjoy looking at. Got it. So we will put that in the show notes as well. Um, Diane, I want to thank you so much for being on Wealth Formula Podcast today. Oh, thank you for having me on the show. I really enjoyed getting to visit with you and hopefully share some information with your listeners. Thanks. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the show, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that. Hope you learned something. Uh, I would just tell you a few things that I think that I've learned along the way. There's not very many things that you can do as a W-2 uh, employee, and most of those are uh, limited to uh, accredited investors, things that you can actually do to reduce your uh, personal tax liability. And some of those things include oil and gas uh, investments. They also include conservation easements. We've talked about these things in a, the accredited investor group. Um, and obviously there's, you know, tax-free uh, growth in, in things like wealth formula banking, et cetera. But, um, you know, most of, the, most of the idea really comes down to, you know, changing uh, income into different kinds of income. As, ta as Tom tells me, as Tom Wilright tells me, you know, if you want to change your tax, you have to change your facts. And that's part of what we want to try to do in some of the strategies that we employ uh, in, in uh, Investor Club. Now, uh, for business owners, you can add captive insurance to the, to the game. I mean, that's a big thing that you can do to totally legal. Uh, uh, government is, uh, allows you to have your own insurance company. Um, and again, we've talked about that in the Investor Club before. Um, but probably one of the biggest one and easiest ones to employ is simply bonus depreciation, uh, which applies to businesses and to investors with passive income. And so, and without going into too much detail, basically most people know what a cost segregation analysis is for multifamily real estate. For example, you can take real property and separate it from chattel using an engineering study and you Typically, what you would be able to do is you'd be able to uh, depreciate the chattels, you know, like things you can pull out of the building, like cabinets and things like that, and depreciate them over five years instead of 27 and a half, like the rest of the uh, property. But bonus depreciation, which expires, I believe, in 20, 2021 right now, um, is does something really interesting, is it allows you to take that five years of depreciation and squeeze it all into one year. And that is magic for uh, passive investors with passive income these days. So anyway, I highly encourage you to look at those things. If you're part of Investor Club, I think that's a, uh, you know, something you definitely want to um, take advantage of. The perfectly legal cost segregation in bonus depreciation can end up, in some cases, 75 to 90% of investments can be written off. In the case of oil and gas, it could be 100%, but in real estate even, 75, 90%, et cetera. Anyway, uh, you can learn all about that in Investor Club, and also you can go to Wealth Formula Network, or you can join Wealth Formula Network, uh, which you can learn all about by going to wealthformularoadmap.com. That's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Save You with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. 
I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.